think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, huge. Not- and I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. Thanks to Alex Byer for the upcoming morning of music and Sydney Culture News. If you missed anything she played, you can jump online and head to fboradio.com to catch up on our show or any other program here at the station. Now, my guest on the show today is a journalist, presenter and documentary maker who you'd know for her comedic piss-taking attitude towards big or small issues of the day on SBS's The Feed. She's lived all over the world, from Lebanon to Uganda, speaks three languages, and has been nominated for various awards, including a Young Walkley and a UN Media Peace Prize. Her name is Jan Fran. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, look, there's something you said in your profile about about winning or not winning these awards. I mean, what is it that drives you? Is it that you haven't won any awards yet? Because you've got some pretty incredible backstories and back back catalogues of incredible work. But what is it that drives Jan Fran? Uh, Yeah, I can't say it's the awards that drive me. Um, Although now that I think about it, I haven't actually won any awards, which is a bit of a travesty. So I might have to rethink what actually drives me and just go, okay, what do these award categories want and how do I get in there? It's just impressive. That's a terrible way. That's actually a terrible way to think and operate if you do that stop doing it but i guess it's what most people probably do right i don't know i think you'd get to a point where you'd be like all right i feel like i've done some good work and i want an award like if that's what you want then yeah i guess hey go for it and think of the best way to to kind of get there um I mean, I'd like an award, but it's, <laughs> but I'm not going to like operate, you know, run my life on the basis of winning an award. Of course not. You've yeah. got far more important things Come to on. do. <laughs> now, look, you're really quite a globetrotter and like it, the biggest cliche these days for the Insta world is that everyone, you know, everyone's got wanderlust in this kind of bullshit term. But I can imagine for you that traveling around and working overseas has got a little bit more to it than that bullshit idea of wanderlust. What is it that means you've become such a globetrotter? Yeah, it's um, so I d- I've done like a couple of different things when I've lived overseas. The first time I, I lived in France for a year, I was studying. So there was a real purpose to kind of being there. I was doing my last year abroad there. Uh, you know, I did kind of six months of intensive French when I was there and then went to the university. So that was a very kind of specific sort of, you know, final exchange year at uni. Um, the second the second time I moved overseas, I went to Bangladesh for a year and that was to work with wow. UNICEF. Yeah. So that was um, more of a kind of a, like a comms role working with yeah. UNICEF in Dhaka. Tell us about Bangladesh because it's, it's, Bangladesh is one of the most dangerous places on the planet like it's it's especially for foreign workers it's a lot worse now i mean i was there in 2011 and i think in five years uh sorry what year is it now 2018 get that (laughs) (laughs) yeah in in kind of that that seven years since it's become progressively um worse for Mm. foreigners um i think a lot of the diplomatic uh embassies there had actually pulled out their staff because there was this horrible incident where a few people were taken hostage um, a few years ago, and I know the cafe that they mentioned. I was like, "Oh my You're god, kidding. yeah." Well, what was it like when you were there then? Look, it wasn't that dangerous. I mean, obviously, you have you know pre-departure training where you're you're kind of they they get you across the lay of the land when you're there. The mm. first week is just orientation. 
you know, we, we were told don't catch rickshaws, which are, I don't know if you guys know what rickshaws are, but they're like um, bikes with the little seats oh, attached the seats to them. The back. Yeah, yeah course, someone yeah. rides the bike and you kind of sit on the seat. Um, they're a, quite, a relatively popular way of kind of getting around close places um, in the city there. But, you know, don't catch rickshaws at night. Um, make sure that you're always with one other person. You know, it was... It was general sort of safety rules. Mm, I think mm. if you're going back now, they would be like, one, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And two, you might have to have a security detail kind of everywhere you go. It's pretty interesting because, you know, there's all these places that we commonly hear about in the media that we perceive as being these dangerous places. Mm. But then there are certain places that, like, are almost you don't even hear much about it on the news. Like Bangladesh is one. I mean, like, the Rohingya crisis has not really been kind of cared about as much as you probably oh, think it should dude. have been. You know, uh, what is it about the media that means that... There are certain places and issues that just somehow get looked over. I just think people are interested in things within their proximity. You mm. know, um, we're much more interested in what's going on in our towns and our cities than we are maybe in other parts of the country, let alone in countries that we're very unlikely to travel to. Mm. Um, and the news is something that, you know, it thrives on conflict, it thrives on familiarity, it thrives on... Um, on, on relatability, you know, you want to have a you want to have a relatable news program. You want to have two relatable hosts talking about relatable shit. Like, would you spank your child? <laughs> you know, um, and and people relate to that. Um, I think it's difficult for people to relate to something that they're not overly familiar with, yeah, and that seems so distant. And so we tend to other countries like like Bangladesh and you know countries like Uganda where I also lived um, where you only kind of see them through the, this prism of something over there mm, mm. you know something very exotic in some way like yeah. yeah I mean it can be it can have a positive slant to it or it can have a negative slant mm. to it but either way it's always something that is other than you yeah. you know um, whereas I think I mean people are just people right they're just people over there trying to just get on with it in the same way you are and there's so many different ways to relate but yeah, it, it, the news doesn't make it easy. How did it impact you, I guess, going and spending time in those kind of places and the way in which you perceive the world now? You know what? I was really pissed at myself when I moved to Uganda because the, the reason why I moved there is because I was dating a guy at the time who was setting up an NGO in the northern part of the country. And I had just left Bangladesh and so I didn't necessarily have a job to come to in Australia. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come to Uganda. And I was really concerned I was like, oh, man, it's going to be dangerous. You know, I'd heard terrible things about, you know, the health over there and crime over there and poverty over there. And and you get there and it is so good. Like, can I just spruik Uganda for a second for to people? If you want to go on a holiday, go to Uganda. Like, beautiful weather, great people. Kampala's a really interesting city, really easy to get around. Um, the countryside is easy to get around. Whitewater rafting in Jinja, Uganda, like you wouldn't think it, one of the best places to whitewater raft. Beautiful outdoor settings, like you're on Lake Victoria. It's yeah, just yeah. gorgeous. Um, and I, I actually felt- know one really interesting fact about Uganda as well. Mm. It's one of the only places in Africa where lions climb trees. Stop it. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it's weird, right? My God. Yeah, yeah. So be careful. Like, you think you can run away from a lion in Uganda? Mm-mm. Not Wait a go, minute. Don't go up a tree. It'll chase you up a tree. Just Ugandan lions? Like, not it's Kenyan one of the lions? Only, it's or? one of the only places. Yeah, it's, it's like they've developed a particular interest in hanging out in trees, which is usually the leopard's domain, you know? But yeah. Not lions in Uganda. That's crazy. Like heights. Yeah, I did not know that. Thank you. Who knew? A few years later, I'd find out all this information. 
Um, but yeah, it was it was such an, a kind of just a really amazing place and an eye opener. And then I just thought, oh, you fucking idiot! <laughs> like, why did you let like? Because I'm so susceptible to like the bullshit that comes through yeah, yeah. the news and the media and how we kind of consume the world, right? Of but course. I fell for it. Of you course. know, I fell for it. And I mean, I got we there. all do though. When, like I think yeah. we're all, even people like yourself who are so right in the thick of it, you know, it's so easy to be consumed by it all. But mm. look, it's a it's a fascinating thing that we're going to get more more into very soon. But firstly, I want to I want to talk a bit about your background because your parents are both Lebanese and they moved to Australia and, and you grew up in the western suburbs. Can you can you tell us a bit about that and why your parents left Lebanon and came here? Well, my parents were economic migrants, so <laughs> Lebanon's just a bit shit sometimes, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, what yeah. are you going to do? The economic situation there was um, pretty bad. It's a volatile place. Very like, volatile, it's beautiful yeah. and it has, you know, so many redeeming features about it. Um, but if you want a future for your kids, which is what my parents wanted, um, it's just not the best place. And if you've mm. got another option, then you're absolutely going to seek out that other option. And we had a whole bunch of family here as well. Mm. So, you know, my dad's uncles were all here. Um, his aunts were here. We had extended family who was here. So we were actually one of the later ones to come out. Um, and so they kind of – the story goes apparently that my aunt, who's my dad's sister, um, had applied to move here and they sent her the form and she decided that she she wasn't going to go through with it. And my dad said, oh, okay, well, I'll fill out the form and see what oh, you're happens. Kidding. No way. Uh, filled it out and here we are. <laughs> and in Catholic Lebanese, it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people, again, because of the media, yeah. perceive a lot of the Lebanese Australians as like they're automatically stamped as Muslim because they're from the Middle East. But Catholic Lebanese, you're Catholic Lebanese, aren't you? Can you tell us a mm. bit about, you know, the populations of, of Catholic Lebanese in Australia? Because there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So they're, they're a much kind of older migration than I think um, Muslim Lebanese are, maybe. Um, but there's there's quite a big um, population of, of Catholics in the Middle East. They're called Maronite Catholics. Um, and they kind of exist in, in Lebanon and Syria principally. Um, but Lebanon has one of the biggest diasporas in the world. Like it's this mm. tiny country that everyone has just fled uh, there's maybe three or four million in Lebanon and there's like eight million in Brazil. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. I did not know that. Yeah, Brazil has, wow. I think Brazil has the biggest Lebanese diaspora in the world. You're kidding. Yeah. There's a there lot of Lebanese in Brazil. I also didn't know that. A lot in South America, a lot in North Africa. There's a fair few in Canada. There's a few in Australia. It has yeah. like... Like you'd think, you know, when you think diasporas, you're like, well, the Irish, they're everywhere. Mm. But the India, India and China, because they've got this massive population, they're massive countries. You're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But Lebanon, yeah. like you look at it on the map and it's like that, that thing, it's tiny. It's but, wild, um, isn't it? Yeah. So so many of like the, the, the people have kind of left. Um, and yeah, Maronite, Mar- Maronite Catholics are kind of, uh, yeah, a group that existed there that, and it, there's a, there's a lot of them here. I often get asked by people, oh, Oh, what's oh, you know? What's your cultural background? And I say, oh, Lebanese. And the, one of the first things they ask me, and this has happened so many times, is, oh, are you Muslim or yeah. Christian? Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, yeah. To which I answer, ah, uh, it's none of your fucking business, <laughs> mate. Like, <laughs> oh, do you know people what I mean? are so upfront, aren't they? Like, they they got no clue. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are we talking about like? whether I believe in the existence of a God and through what faith in the second question. Like, is there not another question in between? Oh, God, it's crazy times. Well, look, yeah. the first song you've chosen today is Salt and Pepper, Let's Talk About Sex. 
what so what does this mean to you like as a you know young catholic lebanese girl growing up in western in western sydney <laughs> <laughs> well the lebanese and i think other other kind of um cultures as well they just don't talk about sex with their kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, the presumption is that you're not going to have sex until you're married. <laughs> of course, naturally, right? <laughs> you know, because sex sucks. Like, of course I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. Jeez. I'm pretty sure my parents thought I was a virgin until I was married. Oh, God, oh, what oh. a secret to keep. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Can't wait for getting married, bum. Oh. And then on, on your wedding day, you're like, oh, they're going to know that I'm not a virgin anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those weird things. Um but they just, they, they never talked about sex. And my mother used to hate that song. <laughs> Did you play it to get it on a grill? She hated it. Oh, I just play it whenever I wanted and she was there. Um, but she hated that song. Like, let's talk about sex. This is, you know, it's rude. She'd turn it off every time it came on in the car. Um, wouldn't let me listen to it at home. And I just remember Salt and Pepper being like, they were just such bad bitches. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. And I can, I can so clearly remember that. And I, I would have been like, what, 10? Something like that, you know? Um, no, even even younger, like between 5 and 10. And just remember how just how much they just didn't give a fuck. Of course. Right? Yeah, like yeah, how yeah. much they, just, they were just on stage in like tiny crop tops talking about sex, talking just about bossing. fucking men and being <laughs> sexy. And, you know, like they'd have like what a man, like, like ode to men, ode to like, you know, um, yeah, like beautiful boys and just being unabashed about their sexuality and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I just sort of was like, yes, you know, <laughs> fuck what my mom says. I'm going to listen to this. Hell yeah. Um, and it's also a sick song. Herb. Yo, I don't think we should talk about oh, this. Come on, why not? People might misunderstand what we're trying to say, you know, but that's a part of life. Uh, 
Subject to controversy, a three-letter word some regard as a curse. See, he may fiend and have a dream because he's seen a teen in tight jeans. What makes him react like that is biological. The scheme on getting in those jeans is diabolical. But of course he does it, and she gives them rap. And before you even know it, they jump into sack. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's like that. But anyway, ready or not, here he comes, and like a dumb son of a gun, oops, he forgot the condoms. Hey. Oh well, you say what the hell? It's chill. I won't get got. On the pill until the sores pours and stuff pours down your drawers. Ew. He gave it to you and now it's all yours. Yours, yours. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk Listening to Out of the Box FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Jeanette Francis, aka Jan Fran from The Feed on SBS. Now, look through your different roles. You've, you've really kind of taken a hardline but tongue in cheek attitude towards reporting. I mean, what's the purpose of that? Well, I think um, I think humour really resonates with people. I think you can talk about the most fucked up thing, but if you do it in a funny way, I think people relate to it a bit more. And I'm sort of naturally inclined to do that. So it was sort of this natural progression because um, I, I I went from hard news like just mm, news mm. news yeah just classic you know? where you couldn't you couldn't be funny at all you just yeah. had to be dead serious like monochrome <laughs> jacket you know standing in front of building going I'm here reporting on the yada 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 yeah we well, have know? to put on that stupid voice yeah. you, on, you got to, I'm, I'm sorry but like I, I that voice the news voice needs to die <laughs> it like I mean like it doesn't represent reality like it's like. This is like seriously, man. Like that doesn't communicate to to people these days, does it? No, I I don't think it does these days. Mm. But um, you know, that's because like the internet's just made things so much more personal. Like now you go on the Instagram accounts of the journos, and you know you see them on holiday, you see them with their kids. There's like that barrier is kind of broken down. Mm. Whereas I think the news voice really worked when you know you're trying to have an air of authority yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. You know, totally. um, and now I think you can have that. Um, but without the sort of pretense of it. Of course. Yeah, and sure. I, especially younger people. Like, I think I think anyone, like, in their teens and, and 20s is just like, why are you putting on that yeah. voice? You just just tell me. It shuts people off as well because I think people are like, it's so crisp that people almost, it, it, they listen to it as, like, just, like, background noise. You know what I mean? They mm. don't actually take in the information because it, it's just so, like, crystallised that it, people just almost kind of breeze over it. I don't yeah. know. It's bizarre. Because it doesn't sound conversational. It's no, not like yeah. you're sitting in there, you're sitting there having a, you know, just a regular chat with someone. It's like you're being 
spoken to mm, mm. sort of thing. Um, I think that's slowly changing though. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. so what, what do you think like some of the best ways like you've kind of, I guess, challenged that kind of concept beyond just having this format of newsmaking, which has taken the piss out of it in some way? Well, I think our, like our show, The Fade, 7.30 weeknights, SB Spiceland. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it kind of tries to be as like genuine and as authentic as possible when dealing, when, you know, trying to tell people stories and even when dealing with just the regular news. Mm. And, and I, like, I kind of adopt this attitude of, you know what, I don't know everything. Like, I know what I know and I've researched this and I guess I have the tools and the skills to research this mm. a little bit more, but I don't know that much more than you do. Yeah, for Maybe sure. I might know a little bit more than you do, but not that much more than you do. And I'm kind of happy to operate on that basis of, you know, being called out on my shit when I'm wrong, mm. which I think is something that the internet does that, that regular, you know, TV news or, you know, news as it used to be didn't really do. Of course, um, yeah. You just took a journalist's word for... For, for fact. And often, like, they probably could have been bullshitting through their teeth just to sound smart, right? Like, you know, like, how often do you think journalists, like, actually kind of, like, you listen to them and you're like, oh, that didn't really hit the point, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that – I don't think they bullshit. This is this is the thing. I you know think- I know people think that, like, oh, the media is just bullshit. They tell you lies. Like, I think, you know – No, but I mean it's in the context as in they think that they're communicating the content in a way that people will understand. But actually people are going – what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, sure. I think I think I, you know, I think journalists and and um, doco makers and presenters, the more natural they are, I think the better the better it is, particularly in this day and age, and increasingly so. Of course, well, yeah. look, we can only hope for more. Now, look, moving on to the music again. The next thing you got for us is Daft Punk, Aerodynamic. Why did you choose this song? So when I was living in France, um, I was in um, I wasn't living in Paris. I was living in a place called. It's written R E I M S. But it's pronounced like Hans. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, I, I know these sort of pronunciation things in French. I've, I've I've had lots of difficulties with a friend of mine who's French. His mum trying to get me to pronounce his name properly. His name's Roland. What? And I just say Roland. What is it? Roland. But how's it written? Roland. I don't know. Roland. 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 Oh, I, Roland. I yeah. sat with her for Roland. an hour one day trying to pronounce his name properly and she just was like, you can't do She's it. like, just say Roland. Yeah. yeah all yeah. right, just say Roland. We're or fine. Or just don't say his name at all. <laughs> yeah. No, it's classic. So you lived in this place called what? It was Re- like uh, Hans. 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 Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm going to stop because I'm subjecting people to so much torture right now. <laughs> I'm sorry to any French people listening. Forgive me. Forgive me. Um, but it was this kind of, it was in the Champagne region and it was, uh, you know, about 45 minutes north nice. of, of Paris. Yeah, on the, on the fast train. But I would kind of like go for a run every now and again around like the main city square and I'd just have aerodynamic just blasting in my ears like full volume, pounding the tiny pavement of this kind of French town. And it just, like, the minute I hear it, it kind of just takes me straight back there, like, every single time.
This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is journalist, presenter, and documentary maker Jan Fran. Now, you're involved with an organization called Plan International. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so Plan International is, um, I guess, an aid organisation um, that works with um, the projects that I'm particularly involved in are the ones that work with women and girls, and they do that in Australia and also in places overseas. And some of their big things, I mean, right now there's obviously a, a very huge humanitarian crisis happening in, in Bangladesh with the Rohingyas, um, which, I, I mean... <laughs> I cannot even fathom what 600,000 refugees in a refugee camp in southern Bangladesh looks like. I, with monsoon season approaching, like, God help everybody. Um, so they're doing a lot of kind of emergency response work with particularly women, women and girls over there right now. But they're also doing um, really interesting projects around kind of street harassment. And they've got oh, really? this thing. Yeah, they've got this thing where they compare cities. Mm-hmm. So another one of their big projects is looking at kind of um, sexism and harassment in cities. Um, and they've got um, a project where they're sort of comparing Sydney to places like Cairo, Delhi, Lima in Peru, Kampala in Uganda, and looking at the kind of different aspects that... Um, of sexism and harassment that women in those particular cities might face. Yeah. Um, and they've drawn up this... Actually, it's really interesting. They've drawn up this kind of like... They've created this interactive map where they kind of ask women to place a pin anywhere where they might have felt like unsafe or they might have felt like they were harassed or they might have just had a kind of a weird experience in that particular public urban space. And the aim is to take that information to kind of city planners and go, okay, there's a cluster of things happening around here. Like there's a cluster of pins. Mm. What can we do differently? So it's something that has kind of really tangible results um, for places. Like it's it's happened in Melbourne and now it's currently, it's about to start happening in Sydney as well. So are they finding like kind of commonalities, I guess, which they are able to then figure out a direct way of being able to stop it, not just here, but in various places because it's happening for the same reasons, I guess? Um, it, it happens for slightly different reasons. And cities mm. like um, Cairo are very intense. Mm. Delhi is extremely intense for sexual harassment. Um, but I guess the principle's the same. So it's just kind of trying to pinpoint particular public, physical public spaces okay, yeah, and yeah. saying, okay, how do we design and change these public spaces um, to be more accessible to women? And there was this one thing that um, that they did where they took these young girls out with, you know, um, town planners from one of the councils in Melbourne, I think. And one of the guys kind of being taken around was like, oh, he said, I'd never thought about it like that before. He said, I'd never thought about looking at a city from the perspective of a teenage girl before. Yeah, wow. Which is kind of, it's, it's really telling though, isn't it? Because teenage course, girls yeah. use the city as much as the next person. Um, and I know you can't, you know, design a city based on every individual person, but it's just interesting that that didn't really factor into any of the planning. Of course, it's fascinating stuff. Mm. And I mean, what are like, you know, some of the the challenges in that regard, like the things that could change structurally to be able to make them more comfortable spaces for for young women? Well, I think the big one is um, suburban train stations of an evening. Um, I think a lot of women kind of reported feeling just a bit dodgy Hmm. around those sort of areas. Um, I think things like help buttons on trains trains were a sort of another big one yeah. where it's like if you're being harassed by someone right even if you're just being stared at weirdly and you change carriages and if they go to the to, if they follow you to that next carriage and they sit right underneath that emergency button how are you going to press the button mm-hmm. you know what i mean like the only thing you can do is move away from that person which is away from alerting 
somebody to the fact that something untoward is happening, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it comes down to kind of the minutiae of the design. Like where yeah, does yeah. one put emergency buttons on trains? And I mean, these things are only very newly being kind of looked at, I guess. Like for so long, mm. there was literally nothing like this in place. So it's, and it's, and they're simple solutions, really. You yeah, know? I think so. It just, it just, you just need to collate the information. Like you just need to know what's happening and what's not happening and so that you can kind of design around it. Mm. And you need somebody to be genuinely interested yeah. Right? Yeah. Like somebody to go, hang on, how do women um, perceive cities? Let's look into that. And I think there there wasn't as much will before as what there is now. Do you think there's good stuff going on here in Australia like that you've you've, you've heard of or is it not like needs to be more? In, in regards to? In regards to these sort of things, like designing spaces and places so that they're more conducive to make women feel safe. Like is, is that a discussion that's happening in Australia enough? I think we're having that discussion more and more. Um, I mean, this initiative is an incredibly new initiative. Mm. You know, it's just sort of happened, I think, last year. Um, but looking at, I think looking at the world generally from women's perspectives is something that we've been talking about more and more. You know, looking at film through the perspective of women, looking at public space through the perspective of women, looking at the job market through the perspective of women, looking at the workplace through the perspective of women, right? Like I think it's just something that's starting to be pushed for a little bit more and more. Yeah, of course, um, definitely in breaking down years. the patriarchal structures in some way at least or going towards that, you know. Yeah, I think there's just a, a much more of a willingness to um, embrace that sort of different perspective. Of course. Well, the more the better, 100%, no question about that. But moving on to the music, Eleanor Rigby by The Beatles. Tell us about this song. Why did you choose this song? So this is my favourite Beatles song. Um, and I think I listened to it maybe at a point where I was like, becoming a little bit aware of just the world and how shit it can be. <laughs> yep, yep. I know that feeling. Um, and I don't know I don't know whether it was like the first time I, I heard Eleanor Rigby. It just made me so sad because I just thought to myself, oh, my God, is, is there like lonely people like that? <laughs> Like, I just had yeah. this vision of, like, Father Mackenzie, you know, with his, like, socks, like, shuffling around, writing a sermon, <laughs> and nobody comes to it. And it was just, see, I'm getting even sad thinking about it. It's so sad. And, you know, Eleanor Rigby dies and nobody goes to her funeral. It was, I just, I don't know, I just had this kind of moment of, like, fuck, that is so sad and that there must be people in the world who are just so incredibly lonely, which, like, you're surrounded by people and surrounded by noise and surrounded by, like, everything and, you you know, the idea that you can still be so lonely. With so much going on around with you. With so much going on around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like... And also, like, I'm Lebanese. If you die, there's going to be a thousand people at your funeral. <laughs> yeah. Half of yeah. them don't know you. They only know your dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just such a, like, the idea of just disappearing into nothing and nobody caring was just full on. Awesome. Let's, let's get full on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> look at all the lonely people. Picks up the rice in a church where a wedding has been Lives in a dream, waits at the window Wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door Who is it for, all alone? 
lovely people Where do they all come from? All the lonely people Where do they all belong? Father Mackenzie Writing the words to a sermon That no one will hear No one comes near Look at him working Donning his socks in the night When there's nobody there What does he care? All the lonely people Where do they all come from? All the lonely people Where do they all belong? Church who was buried along with her name. Nobody came, Father Mackenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved, all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Jan Fran from The Feed on SBS. Now, a, a big part of your life has been documentary making. I mean, what sort of docos are you most particularly kind of focused on making? Um, I sort of like, um, I love anything in America. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if you send me to the United States of America, yeah. um, like if, if there was a place where you said, oh, where would you like to go to make a doco? Like 110%, that is my like numero uno country of choice. Is that just because of the characters, you know, like the different characters you meet? They are the best. Americans are made for television. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe they everyone's just grown up on reality TV or something. I, there's, there's got to, someone has had to have done a PhD like about this. There's a false sense of confidence that comes with just being American, where they just are like wow. But it ends up mean, meaning they're great talent, really. Yeah, but like, it's also real. Like if you mm. if you feel confident, then you're confident. It's it's almost the opposite to Australians because yeah. Australians are almost like self degrading. They, they're like, oh no, like I'm like I can't. I can't think of myself as being someone who can actually talk in, in a public domain and have people respect it or have yeah. people care. You know, people in Australia really do the opposite. They sit back and they don't talk. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's because they they got the pilgrims and we got the convicts. Maybe, like, yeah. maybe the pilgrims thought quite highly of themselves. Like, well, we're, you know we're the, so good, we're going to leave and yeah. go to this new world. Whereas the convicts were always just made to feel like shit. Like, we're it's, nothing. The the fact that they moved as you know people that were in the middle class is a huge factor for sure. Yeah, you know, like that yeah. that they went there with a sense of confidence yeah i think so i think it's 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 got to it's got to be rooted in kind of like the history of the country yeah. and america is just like it's it's built on the idea of like the individual can achieve anything and this is the land mm. in which it's gonna happen and you know people really believe that mm. and i think i think for for the u.s to become what what it is in quite the short time that it did i mean it's it's quite remarkable yeah yeah, it's a very remarkable country Mm. um man i can't spruik the u.s highly (laughs) enough i'm in love with it um but you you recently went there and you made like a doco about i guess 
climate refugees and you also made a little thing about the lead up to the 2016 presidential election Mm. i mean what were the different experiences with those two things because i mean there's so many similarities in terms of i guess the kind of people you'd meet but also so many differences like it's so contrasting those two docos yeah i mean the first doco we did was uh called grassroots america and it kind of looked at um four profiled four different grassroots campaigners in the lead up to the presidential election um, and so you got a kind of a very diverse cross section of America, and we and we deliberately did it that way because we wanted to get as diverse a picture as possible in half an hour, which you know you can only do so much. Yeah. Um, the second time I went over there to do America's first climate change refugees was a bit of a it was a far, it was a much more specific um, thing, and also it kind of. Um, so it basically looked at different places in the US that were being affected by, you know, warming oceans and, and scientists saying that the sea levels had risen. And um, and the, the, the main kind of point of, I guess, similarity between both of those two is just how incredibly diverse the country is. Mm, mm. Like... I don't know if I don't know if you've if you've been to the to the states I've much. Spent a bit of time in the states, but it's like you can go from Alaska to Miami, and you, it, it, it may as well be a different country. Well, how many miles are there, or the kilometers are there? Yeah, the or you can go thousands. from even if you went from like um, like Vermont to Philadelphia. There's not that much distance between those mm. two, and it's like two different, completely different, you know, parts of the world they may as well be um so it's just it's such a diverse country uh and and i think that's why i kind of find it really interesting to be there and to explore do you want to go back there i guess now in the context that exists with donald trump and try and explore something in particular yes (laughs) i would love to what would you like to do do you think what would be your first area of focus um look there's this um show that cnn does with a comedian called w kamau bell called the United Shades of America, which is just like, I would love to do something. I basically want his job. Fair enough. I want to be him. Just carbon copy. Someone here will pick it up. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a show on Vice that Vice does um, called Hate Thy Neighbour, which is also quite similar. Just looking at kind of like race relations in the States. Mm. I'm particularly interested in this um, move to the right. Yeah. Uh, like younger, particularly among younger millennials, mm. like the kind of the shift towards, you know, conservatism and conservatism being the new punk, so so to speak. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. that's, you hear that kind of bandied about, like, you mm. know, conservatives, because they feel like they're rebelling against something, yeah. you know. Um, I find that really interesting. Um so, yeah, if, if I could do something like that, that would be... Like, Sarah Silverman's got a new show as well that's kind of something similar. I can't remember what it's called. America, I Love You, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where she kind of travels around the States and just basically meets all the different, you know, colours and creeds of the United States. It's amazing. Well, let's well, let's get you over there, Jan. Let's get you over there to make this because I know we'd all be very interested. <laughs> now, look, moving on to the music, we've got Territory, The Blaze. I mean, what's this one mean to you? This one is... Um, one, it's a sick track. Two, um, if you haven't seen the music video, pause this immediately, go onto <laughs> YouTube and type in The Blaze Territory and watch the music video. Have you seen it? Never. Oh, it's so good. Right, I'll do it after this. 100%. Yeah, do, do it Do it after this. Um, but I don't want to give too much away um, about the music video, but I kind of just really kind of... It's, it's sort of about homecoming. 
Um, it's about somebody kind of, and it's obviously a, a part in North Africa that they've kind of gone back to. So the Blaze is a French outfit, but um, yeah, this particular music video is someone kind of going back to North Africa. Um, the way that it's shot is just phenomenal. The choreography is phenomenal. The song is so good, but I think I related to it because it was like, I can almost, I can relate to that idea of kind of the motherland mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and homecoming. I sort of had quite a similar experience of of going back to Lebanon the first time, this is in 2004, and the plane kind of landing in at Beirut Airport. And you look out and you see this sort of vista that that is immediately both familiar and strange. Of course, yeah. It's such a a strange feeling because you're like, I I know this person, but I don't know how I know this person. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like knowing someone. It's like innate in you somehow. Yeah, it's like an it, it feels like a really kind of innate but very sort of confusing feeling. And I remember watching the film clip for Territory and there's a there's an opening shot where he looks out and there's a vista of a country and I just remember that experience having that experience all those years ago when the plane was was coming into land at Beirut Airport.
Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today has been journalist, presenter, and documentary maker Jan Fran. Now, you you did a speech a, a little while ago um, on International Women's Day where you spoke about what the best thing about being a woman is, and it was hilarious. But oh, thanks. Could, but could you could you tell me what what is the best thing about being a woman? Oh. Honey, I still have no idea. If you can find that one out, let me know. One, I hate shit like that. Like, yeah, I just say, yeah. what's the best thing about being a woman? Like, it's like, what's the best thing about being a man? Like, what's the best thing about being anything? You know what I mean? If you ask me what the best thing about being myself is, that's a much more specific question. But it's funny because <laughs> somebody's like, this is what we're going to do the speech on. I was like, all right, yeah, I can, I can do that. And then, so I kind of Googled, like, you know, the best thing about being a woman. And, of course, it's like, you know, Cleo's 20 best things about being a woman. (laughs) One, you know, we don't have to have fat wallets or, you know, something. Oh, my God. All these mundane, ridiculous things. It was sort of like mundane, ridiculous things, which is like you're on the internet typing in the best thing about being a woman. Like, what do you expect? You know, you're not going to get fucking an Andrea Dworkin thesis, are you? Um... (laughs) But, yeah, I just – I think that, like, the, the main point of that speech was I think for me, like, feminism and, and inequality can really be summed up by, like, Carl Stefanovic's dick. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I Which, mean, I can totally see that. I don't know if, if you guys remember, but a few years ago he lost a bet. Um, it was like an Ashes bet. And as a result, ipso facto, had to do a nudie run in the Channel 9 studios, right? Yeah, I remember this. Do you remember that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But, like, our Carl, it was was funny. Good on him. He did it. Um, And, you know, they kind of recorded it and I think they – I don't know if they aired it on the show, but it's up online. It's an excellent piece of content if you you feel so inclined to look it up. Um, And, you know, it was hilarious. And Carl, he's a larrikin and, yeah, what a hero. And I just thought to myself, imagine for a second that it had been – Lisa Wilkinson, who was his co-host at the time, who'd lost a bet and had to do a nudie run in the Channel 9 studios. It would have blown up the planet. Fuck me. Wow. Like, it, her judgment would have been called into question. Her body, mm. can you imagine? You know, maybe her ability to be a good mum even. Like, who does? Like whose mum does that? That's not a very ladylike thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she would have just been so critiqued about it. But Carl, he's a larrikin. It's just a bit of fun. And you realise you've got these two people who basically do the same job, who have a very similar profile, who are, you know, have the same level of credibility, not the same paycheck as it, as it turned out. Yep. Um, but you have these two very different consequences for the same action. And I think it's because men are afforded they're afforded the the right, really. Mm. It's a right more than it is a privilege that I think women don't have. They're afforded the right of bodily autonomy. They can use their body for something other than fucking men and breastfeeding children, which is comedy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're able to defend themselves with, with that one thing. It's like, oh. It's just a joke. It's just a bit of fun, you know. Like, and it's yeah. just, and and literally, it's it's wipes the slate clean for them. Yeah. But I think that that should be afforded to women as well. Of like, course, I'm yeah. very happy for men to go. Oh, that that was just a joke. Like, I remember mooning in um, primary school and high school. <laughs> I never did because it was shameful. 
because any any showing any part of the female anatomy that was considered private was shameful. It was it was embarrassing. Mm. You didn't want people seeing your bum, but the boys would moon anyone, anytime, anywhere, right? And so their bodies were their bodies, but my body is everybody else's, and I have to think about everybody else before I moon somebody on a bus. And it's such a it's such a silly thing, like mooning. But yeah. right, like it's totally. it's it's such Ridiculous. a silly silly thing, but it real like for me that really highlights the forgive the pun crevice <laughs> <laughs> between you know men and women, mm. um, yeah. and and boys and girls, and I think I think the next. You know, the next kind of wave in that kind of feminist discourse, you know, we had suffrage, we had um, the sexual revolution. I think we're talking more about the workplace. I think it's really going to be bodily autonomy. Mm. Well, I think, Jan, look, we're running out of time, but I think if we have people like yourself to be able to succinctly sum up the divide that exists (laughs) like that, people will actually be able to go, oh, you're totally right, and they won't be able to (laughs) argue with it. So amen to that. I really hate Hope that you keep doing this for us because it's, it's always so enjoyable watching you on the feed and hearing all of your comedic takes on all of these very serious issues, but just bringing them to light in a way that makes young people in particular very much engaged with them. So thank you very much for that. Well, thanks, we, babe. We have, we have run out of time, though. The last song you've got, though, I must say, is one of my favourites. It is an absolute cracker. Tell us what it is. Uh, it's a song called Stand on the Word, um, and it's one of those songs that has just become the ultimate just my ultimate party anthem, but not just mine, but of a, like a select group of friends. You know when you're at a party and a song comes on? Usually it's Madonna, if I'm being completely real. <laughs> and I can't believe I didn't have any Madonna tracks in this, like I'm already regretting and hating myself. <laughs> but every time this song comes on, and it's there's a very kind of specific few, you know, notes that kick in. Wherever we are in the party, we'll just like make eye contact with the other person that's in on this mad secret about this song would be like, we have to hit the D floor right now. And you just see like a bunch of people just descend on the D floor because this song is just so good. It's killer. Well, look, Jan Fransang, thank you so much again for coming on the show. Coming up next is my Billy Liquid Lunch and I'll be back next week. See ya. See ya.